church tradition passes on that of the 12 apostles, John, the writer of this epistle, this letter, John was the only one who died of old age. Now, none of that story is a part of the scriptures. It is the case, though, that those early ones who were writing about church history passed along different vignettes of these lives that were uh, snuffed out in the midst of their sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ and meeting with opposition in their many different places. Their lives ended much earlier than any of us could have hoped for them. John persisted in his telling of the good news until his old age, though. How he escaped with that, who knows? But he did. And Jerome, this ancient authority of theology in the Christian church and this interpreter of the Holy Word into Latin, tells that he reached a point, John did, when he was no longer able to walk to church. And so those that knew John best, those disciples of John, would pick him up and carry him to church on Sundays and even during the week. And when they got John to that location... He always preached the same sermon. Boy, I wish I could get away with that. He would speak the same words every time he appeared. My little children love one another as Christ has loved you. He was remembering what Jesus had said to the disciples gathered at the table, remember? As John recorded this, Jesus said not once but twice at that table, he said, love one another even as I have loved you. When the church wearied of hearing the same thing Over and over and over again, they finally came to John, Jerome says, and they asked him why he repeated it so often. And John's response was, if this one thing be attained, it is enough. Shouldn't it be repeated? If it is enough. It is about putting our faith into action. It is about making faith real. You know that, don't you? There is something blessed, I suppose, on occasion when a preacher gets it right, you know, and in the midst of the exclamation, there is this sense that the Spirit of God has been uttered, but it is more than a sermon, far more than a sermon. This thing to which Christ calls us and John tells over and over again throughout his life is this call to action. 
It is the membership covenant's purpose that we've been talking about for these several weeks now. Putting into action our faith. Will you be loyal to the United Methodist Church and uphold it with your prayers, your presence, your gifts, your service, which we're talking about today, and your witness? Will you be faithful in these ways? Saved people are called to serve people. It is not enough, nor was it ever Christ's intention that we be saved to nothingness. There are beautiful images of this that you and I should remember and hold on to. Images that are a part of our tradition. I'll seek to be brief here. You remember John Wesley. He lived in London in a time in which the poor and the wealthy in one way were greatly separated from each other, but in many instances were living in great proximity, close proximity. Dickens tried to share this same story when he wrote about Cratchit and Scrooge. You know the tensions there. John Wesley saw it every day. In fact, some suggest that had it not been for John Wesley's being that middleman to reach out to the poor, that an English revolution would have rivaled the French Revolution in its strength. There in London was a building that housed part of the machinery of the military that it took to keep the London economy in place. It was called the King's Foundry. And in that building, they cast cannons and then attached them to ships that came to harbors all around and sent them to all over this planet. Also there in that building, along with the work of casting cannons, it began to house all kinds of other munitions. It was a storehouse for guns and for gunpowder and all sorts. It was the case that in 1716, a fire broke out in the building. You can imagine what happened. There was an explosion that was heard for miles and miles around. The building itself was blown to smithereens. There was nothing left but the shell of what used to be there. And there it stood for another 20 years. Just sort of a monument to what should have not taken place. Until that time in which a young man who had had a very heartwarming experience 
when the Spirit touched his heart, he looked at that building and saw potential in nothingness. And you know what he did? John Wesley went off and bought that trash of a building and got the early Methodists involved in restructuring it so that not only would they have a meeting house, but that they would have a sending house. Not only did they use that structure for preaching and holiness of heart, but they used it for holiness of life as well. It became a place for clothes distribution, food distribution, the medical care of those that would come seeking help, legal advice even for those that were down and out and and in in debtor's prison or in, in, in uh, great threat of being thrown into prison because of their situation. It was a caretaking place for, for those children that had found their way onto the street with no one to care for them. It was a place for widows and for, for the elderly to gather in and to know that they would be cared for. It was called the foundry. It kept its original name. It was a foundry. It was a place that no one had seen the likes of in London. It's an interesting concept. You and I come to church and we really don't use this space for much else. I have a close connection to this. I even had a close connection to this space before coming here as your pastor almost a year ago now. You remember that Sue and I were married in this place. I will forever treasure it. But I wonder to myself at times how much of an unused place this is during the week. It stands as a monument as we lift up our hearts to God. But Wesley's concern was that every space should be used for caring for the poor. I heard of a congregation up in Atlanta that prayed over this, they were seeing homeless on the street every day, every night. You know what they voted on in their church council meeting? They voted to take all of the pews out. Not just, um, it's, this is not my effort to do that one at a time, but they voted to remove all of the pews in the sanctuary. And they filled the sanctuary space every evening with pallets for the homeless to come in and just to have a place. John Wesley would have smiled on that. What I'm asking is that you and I be inventive with this. It's a very dangerous thing to lose that sense of passion, that sense of passion for what is the Lord's work. We sang it just a little bit ago in a hymn, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Don't we know it? This is our tendency to forget what our calling is all about. We tend to forget it even as Methodists, as this, as this church that was first in its infancy called to the caretaking of the poor. It was in the middle of the 19th century that there was a Methodist preacher whose name was William Booth. He stood up in a conference meeting of Methodists. His wife was seated up in the balcony behind him. And when he stood up and spoke out and said that the Methodist church has forgotten its calling to the poor, 
she stood up and she said, you tell them, William, you tell them. That was not to be resolved so very easily. And when William Booth left that day, he started the Salvation Army, he and his wife did. Now, what a wonderful thing to think about the Salvation Army being birthed out of the Methodist Church. But couldn't it have been under better circumstances? Must God do his work in spite of us or through us? I love the story of how Habitat for Humanity was birthed out of this community that grew just outside of America's Georgia. It was called Koinonia Farms, Clarence Jordan, this missionary-minded man of sorts, sought to set up, as best as he was able, a community of Christians that functioned like the early church did, sharing everything, just as the Scriptures called them just as the spirit called them to do and as is evidence in the scripture they shared all that they had one millionaire later found out about this magnificent concept of living his name millard fuller he gives up everything that he has and you know what he starts don't you habitat for humanity Decent housing for every person on this planet. This is, this is an incredible idea. You and I are called not to simply hear the word, not even simply to speak it. Our work together is to care for those that are in need. I love the stories of Mother Teresa, how she gave her life in Calcutta and in the streets lifting those persons that were at the point of death, carrying them back to the mother house there and kindly mending their wounds as best as could be done, treating them with respect even into their final breaths, lifting their souls to God. The whole place bathed with such spirituality. So the presence of God. There was a man, a young man just recently, who was so moved by the stories of Mother Teresa that he went to visit her. His name is Shane Claiborne. He called, he kept asking people for a number to which he might get to Mother Teresa and finally he got a number and he called and he said may I speak to Mother Teresa and she said speaking from the other side of the world and he went over to visit her he was so taken with the nature of what she was doing with her spirit the spirit of Christ in her he said might I stay here with you and give my life in Christian service you know what she said to him she said, you go find your own Calcutta. You find your own Calcutta. And that is what he has been doing ever since. You and I are called, and some understand that mission so well. Pittman Park has this reputation as a mission church. 
And some of you remember it so well, it's a part of your very DNA. We have here a food ministry with some dedicated souls that work every week to make sure that the hungry here in this community are taken care of. We have mission teams who do not let us forget. Some of you were at the supper on Friday evening and saw the video that was shared about the people in Haiti. It is stunning to think about the poverty. The same is true with this Dominican Republic team that will go down next week. The encounter that is so significant is to be so close to the poverty. I'm grateful that there are groups of persons here in town that see the continued need for housing through Habitat for Humanity. Even in situations where there are homeless, there is a push for a homeless shelter here in Statesboro. Is it possible that you and I working together might put this in place? I think maybe the problem that we have with all of this is that we reach points where we simply do not see. We have blinders on. Those that are in need are outside of our our vision. John says here, how does God's love abide in anyone who has the world's goods and sees a brother or sister in need and yet refuses to help. The problem is we've worked it out so that we don't see any longer. You see, the, this is the accusation at the end of Matthew in the judgment of the nations. That, when did we see thee, Lord? It's not that we weren't looking. We were looking for you. But you see, the blinders that we put on cause us to forget where we might encounter the world's needs. We become trapped in the idea that there is not enough. And yet we follow a Lord who, when he saw 5,000, some say maybe 10, maybe 15,000 actually that evening that were served, when he saw them before him, he gave instructions to his disciples who were dumbfounded. He said, have them sit down. And there in the sharing of that meal, there were leftovers. Don't you want to be a part of a faith like that? Saved people are called to serve people. Saved people are called to serve people. As we gather at the Lord's holy table. Let's remember that calling. Come and receive from our Lord.